Yeah, I'm very much looking to hear about your opinions <laughs> on this because I'm sure it's going to be fucking hilarious. Ah, uh, yeah, it's not going to be popular by any means. and enemies you're listening to another icky procast with me as always benji uh, and as always we have uh, jamie on hand not t'other jamie but jamie larson live and direct from london how are you today jamie howdy mate i am good and it's so good to be here once again you know it's it's one of those times of the week that i really look forward to not only as a social occasion because i feel like we kind of do use this as a bit of a social uh, occasion for each other but like you know just on a whole nother level it's just good to chat to you mate it's like going to the pub with you, Jamie, and just having a yarn and putting the world to rights at times, only that we're not in a pub where I'm sat in a bedroom, you're sat somewhere, um, but we're still putting the world to rights. Yeah, true. And potentially I am still uh, sitting on a, a piss-laden seat. Hopefully not. Uh, and I'm not drinking alcohol, so that's probably a good thing for once, because uh, to be honest, I think over the last few days I've really given myself a beating. So uh, good to actually be sober for once with you, Benji, as well. Definitely good. Oh. <laughs> So no one came through with the Buckfast and Scotch egg actually, actually, coming across from that, this is just a massive aside. I, I received one of the best presents ever yesterday um, from my missus. Uh, literally a Buckfast t-shirt. Like, it was literally something I discussed in passing as a laugh. And now I am able to wear a Buckfast t-shirt with great pride. Ah, England's changed you. Uh, it, moving it really swift- has. <laughs> <laughs> moving swiftly along from uh, Jamie's alcohol addiction, uh, we're going to have news. Uh, today's main topic is going to be uh, all about the disingenuous world of aspirational social media. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, we definitely are going to do Watch the Thrones, where we talk a little bit about uh, crackpot theories. This one on the on the on this occasion, though, I honestly will say. I think it's got a bit of, uh, well, I think it's got a bare legs to it, to be honest with you, Jamie. Uh, of course, uh, subscribe to us if you haven't already. Uh, you can do that by Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. Um, you can follow us online at ikigaipro.net. You can send us hate mail or joy mail to hello at ikigaipro.net. We're on Twitter at ikigaipro. We're on Instagram at ikigaixpro. Can you tell I've had an energy drink before we started recording, Jamie? I was just about to consider um, asking you about that, but then I was like, Maybe I shouldn't in case there's something else going on in Benji's life. I don't or otherwise, know. I do, I, maybe you're excited before coming on to this podcast for some particular reason. I don't know. I kind of feel like I'm in that New Zealand DJ mode, like for the rock or Hauraki or something like that. Oh, it's definitely, def- man. Like I'm sure you've been listening to the top 100 <laughs> Bogan tracks for the summer, and I'm sure that's got you right talked up. And to be honest, I'm getting talked just thinking about it. Yeah, no, awful lot of tool in that top 100, weren't there? Yeah, exa- how, how is that always the case? I find that funny, even explaining that to people over here, where they're like, what, I've never heard of the band Tool, and then I get into this irate discussion trying to say, like, how have you not heard about Tool? And then I realise it seems to be an inherently New Zealand slash, I don't think it's even Australian, I don't know many Australians who even listen to Tool, but how, how is that the case? That tool has become, like, the epitome of, like, I guess, rock music in New Zealand. Quite a bizarre I thing. Think- yeah, I think New Zealand definitely has a love affair with some bands that perhaps, um, I wouldn't say the rest of the world, but perhaps the more Eurocentric uh, music listeners um, don't have 
a huge affinity to. Now, I mean, that is unfair uh, for Tool, for example. They are playing Download Festival this year. I was literally speaking to one of my old university friends about how excited he was to go and see Tool. Uh, But nothing on the scale as perhaps in New Zealand, how it's almost like a quasi-religion isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And even going back off that and going into one of the topics that we have for today is Ramstein. I know for a fact when I was back in Christchurch, and let's just say um, back in my cool days, and uh, that was probably never, um, I used to go out with um, my older brother and we used to go cruising, mate. I'm sure you've heard the term. I'm sure not the cruising that where you go to a park here in England. Uh, cruising, no, no, no. Yeah, cruising is in uh, going around the four avs. So we have these four avenues in my hometown of uh Christchurch in New Zealand and what people do is basically drive around these four avenues uh, for hours on end in uh, souped up cars or if not that, cars that are literally about to fall apart and most of the time they're either blasting tool, um, some savage hip hop and if not that, Ramstein of all things and it's quite nice that you've managed to bring up this topic because you're saying that they've got a new single out, how how does it sound? Yeah, so uh, Ramstein have dropped the uh, single and official video for radio. It's, uh, well, the first single coming off their album Deutschland, which is being released uh, later this month, which is May, because we recorded this on a Tuesday, comes out on a Thursday, semantics and shit like that. Um, <laughs> it's their first new album since 2009's uh, Lieb ist für alle da. It's not quite as heavy and industrialized as you one would expect from Ramstein. Having said that, I only draw that that analysis based on how popular things like Mutter, uh, like uh, albums like Sonna, uh, Du Hast, stuff like that. Basically, the bangers, the big Ramstein songs, you know. It is a very good song. Um, again, it moves away from the more industrialized elements. Uh, but let, let's be honest, JB. When it comes to Ramstein, you want to know what controversy that they're courting. And yet yeah, the video is pretty controversial. Um, bits of uh, dry humping or grinding, uh, you know, wireless radios. Um, it's out on YouTube and it's uncut form. I really really wonder if there is a, a director's cut and uh how much more uh surreal and unnerving it could be what, um, what's exactly being done to these particular radios is it something i may have done throughout my career in radio well let me quote from the enemy so i don't get into trouble with uh well given the climate that we're in uh the enemy is quoted as to saying the black and white video sees the band perform the song in the music hall as soldiers march down the street. The song blares from old-fashioned wireless radios. Women are depicted masturbating with the radios, with one woman trying to suckle a radio to her naked breast. At the climax of the video, the soldiers try to break up Ramstein's performance by hitting them with batons. Uh, with the force field protecting the band, the soldiers give up and instead perform a dance routine to the song. If only that was realistic and true to life for Ramstein's live performances, because realistically, most of their live performances are that mental anyway. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they they're coming off controversy. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're coming off controversy. That, that, yeah, that is just That's, a classic Ramstein video, though. And, realistically. You know, like, and in other news, bears go to the toilet in the woods when they're in the wilderness. But more so on this occasion that 
the controversy stems from including Holocaust imagery in a teaser trailer for the album. So there's controversy okay. in terms yep. of kind of, you know, Ramstein's sexual imagery, uh, their content and everything like that. But then on the other hand, when you're a, a German band and you are doing things that allude to the Holocaust and the atrocities uh, of the World War, that is a line that a lot of Germans are, are, are very unhappy to see crossed, you know. So we say controversy, like nudity and stuff like that, but on this occasion... It is kind of justifiable. It is justifiable. Yeah. Oh, jeez. They really do like to up the ante, don't they? Do you feel like they're getting to a point now where they're trying to remain relevant by just causing controversy, or do you feel like it's genuinely something they feel is artistic in a sense? I think it's six or one, half a dozen of the other, Jamie. I think yeah. that Ramstein have always had this case where they like to push the envelope out in terms of artistic merit, but then I also think that it's slightly the gimmick with regards to Ramstein about what are they going to do next, you know? If it's not hmm. uh, a video that involves a takeover of a bank and, and, and a robbery of a bank, then it's a video that involves uh, Snow White, uh basically doing things that perhaps Disney would be blushing to even think about. Uh, and, and then from that, you know, just a full-blown video which contains sex scenes and an orgy. So, yeah, I, I think in terms of artistic merit, they're still relevant and doing what they're doing. But I also think that in terms of uh, capturing everybody's attention, they know what they're doing, and that's why they like to court controversy, because to quote Eric Bischoff, uh, a wrestling promoter himself, uh, controversy creates cash. And speaking of cash, Jamie, we'd be remiss not to talk about Avengers Endgame. Oh, of course, like one of the biggest box office smashes in history. It's it's insane the amount of money that that film has garnered, and even more so just the impact it's probably going to have culturally um, on pop culture, it's it's insane how much that's been talked about over the last few weeks. And like you said, how much of a big deal it was in the lead up with all the leaks and everything else like that. People were getting themselves off social media. I still think one of the finest stories to come out of this whole situation was, uh, did you hear about the man, uh, I think he was in his mid-twenties, um, a man from China who ended up getting the living piss beaten out of him because he decided it was appropriate to yell spoilers at eagerly awaiting fans who were going to watch the next screening. I mean, it's just a real part of my language cunty thing to do, you know. You've oh, waited yeah, all this time. You've you've closed your eyes. You've covered your ears, you know, and you're waiting in line, and you're so very, very close to finally watching it, only to have some twat just walk along and and spoil it for everybody. Um, I don't condone violence, but I can understand how pissed off a lot of people would be, and um. It definitely says something about the absolute cultural phenomenon that is Avengers Endgame, where people are resorting to violent means to deter people from spoiling it. I mean, I thought I thought that people trolling by putting up those leaked videos that we talked about two weeks ago mm. was, was one thing in terms of, you know, how 
this has become such a pop culture phenomenon. It's being used in order to troll and upset people. Uh, but it's saying something when acts of physical violence are being used because some dickheads decided, oh, you know, I'm just going to spoiler it. But I get it, man, because if you're standing in line in the cinema waiting to go in um, and, and that happens... Uh, it was so close yet so far. It's, it's a bitter pill to swallow. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. And But I think the main thing I want to know, mate, because obviously uh, I've discussed on this podcast, I've permanently given up on the MCU. I may go back to it at some point, maybe when uh, the heat dies down from it. But what was your take on the film? Because you've obviously seen it, I'm assuming. I've, I've seen it. It's absolutely bloody fantastic. I'm not going to spoil it for anyone. I think that... I think it's going to be one of those situations where you have to give it maybe two to three weeks in order to then finally publicly discuss these things. I went out with a couple of old workmates on Saturday. Oh, no, it was Friday, actually, from my mistake. Uh, and a couple of people had seen it and a couple of people had not seen it. And so it was a very kind of cloak and dagger situation when we can talk about it, uh, ultimately me and the other people that have seen it decided we'll talk about it on Facebook amongst ourselves. Um, absolutely brilliant. Uh, heartbreaking at points. Very exciting for the future of the MCU uh, phases going forwards as well. So I think maybe in two, maybe three weeks' time. We'll say two weeks, Jamie. Um, we'll have a proper little debrief about Avengers there. All everybody needs to know is that it's made $1.2 It's broken hearts and broken records. Um, but everyone else is talking about Endgame, so you don't need another two voices in the wilderness to go on about it. What you do need, though, is two very big anime fans telling everybody, my God, if you go on Funimation, wherever legally you can stream it, Attack on Titan Season 3 Part 2 is underway, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I've loved the series so far, and it's really good to like see it finally back. I feel like the wait for Attack on Titan has always felt like a long slog, I guess in the same vein as Game of Thrones. And um, obviously, I'm, I was a big fan of the manga. I've read quite a lot of it, and I absolutely loved it. So it's really good to see the series coming back. And I think it's one of those ones as well that has had a lot of crossover appeal into Western audiences in the same vein of like Naruto, Dragon Ball, Cowboy Bebop, many of those other animes. And it's really good to see that um, it's made the same jump. Because um, how, how far through have you made it through Attack on Titan? Uh, well, I'm about to start on uh, part two of season three. Nice. Uh, I have been re-watching it uh, all over again just to bring myself a little bit more familiar. So I'm nearly at an end of um, season three, the first part. Uh, I think you're quite right about its crossover appeal as well. I think I would like to say as much as we bash on Netflix at times, Jamie... Uh, I would say that Netflix did uh, did an absolute favor um, to the creators of Attack on Titan because they really pushed it uh, when it first appeared on the platform. They absolutely pushed it so very hard to get people invested into it, and it, it's a, it's an incredible tale, you know. I you could at times draw parallels between. Uh, the Game of Thrones situation against the White Walkers and, you know, the people inside the walls and the Titans outside. I mean, if, if people aren't familiar 
with Attack on Titan, just to give a very brief overview, um, humanity is basically being quarantined uh, inside the walls uh, because of, how would you describe them? They're, they're, they're just, for the most part, big zombified giants. Giant beasts, yeah. And so yeah. this whole wall situation, they've basically made the one last beacon of humanity in this community which is based around politics and there's a lot of class system sort of um, situations going on obviously the lower classes live on the outer rings which are more likely to be invaded by these titans where the rich and prosperous live closer to the center which is well guarded and it really has this nice dynamic between um, the army who are obviously trying to protect uh, the general people then you've got the politicians who are in general just trying to protect themselves uh, and then you have all these other sub storylines going on it's it's yeah I, I totally agree with you it's one of those things that really does have a Game of Thrones-esque uh, storytelling platform but there's just so much more to it and yeah it is a great story I absolutely love it yeah I mean there's so many layers to it I mean from the from the initial first episodes you think that this is just going to be a typical kind of you know monster arc you know almost uh, like a typical shonen jump anime that was like yeah, what I originally I thought it was going to be Absolutely. And then the further you get into it, like you mentioned, Jamie, you then look at kind of a socio-political situations, you know, you look at um, the, the whole situations regarding uh, what is the lesser of two evils, you know, do the ends, ju do the means justify the ends, you know, when we're looking at beast titans and stuff like that, when we're looking at rogue titans, you know, we're, we're looking at when governments get involved in uh, trying to weaponize biological things, you know. I mean, there's so much that you can gain when you start to go further into the series itself that um, we always talk about how great um, Neon Genesis Evangelion is. I mean, we constantly talk about how great that is, Jamie. Oh, yeah. We talk about how great... Uh, Cowboy Bebop is, you know, and we also talk about like Samurai Champaloo and stuff like that. Uh, I feel like sometimes we've done a bit of a disservice when we don't talk too much about the greatness of Attack on Titan, which is why that amongst all the other news that we could have been talking about, it's just incredibly important to bring more attention to the casual anime fans or to the diehard anime fans who yeah. probably will agree with us that uh, Attack on Titan is up there in the pantheon of fantastic manga come anime series. And uh, it's definitely, I, I wonder if like Viceland or something like that may pick it up once it's had its initial run through Funimation or Crunchyroll. But if Netflix are going to go down the path of including more and more anime in their catalog, um, they'd be idiots not to pick this up. But yeah. then at the same time, someone from a bigger you know, network might come along and decide this is where we're going to start with anime. So it's become a popular outlet once again, hasn't it? Yeah, completely. And I think uh, one of the things that Netflix has actually been quite smart about and like you said, uh, getting Attack on Titan initially was definitely one of their smartest moves is the fact that they know that the series that they are picking up are quite digestible for the non intense anime fans because I feel like 
a lot of the things that do put off a lot of um, people who potentially do want to watch these sorts of series is the fact that they feel like the storyline is going to be too complicated or the character is going to be too over top and there's nothing that they can really, I guess, relate to um, maybe the general drama series that they watch. Whereas I feel like some of the stuff that Netflix has acquired, they've definitely had the forethought to be like, this is stuff that has or will have a cultural impact because not only is it easy to digest compared to most other anime series, but also it just has a general appeal. And I feel like Attack on Titan has had that. Um, yeah, Neon Genesis. Because uh, how long ago was it that they ended up getting the contract for that? It wasn't um, too long ago, was it? That no, they got the it wasn't. License in for that? Yeah. And it's it's meant to be released on Netflix at uh, the end of quarter three. Yeah. So we're looking at uh, August, September time, yeah. just leading into the winter months. Yeah, and exactly, which and they've funny. also got what Castlevania, which is doing pretty well as well. Oh, Castle, Castlevania was a Netflix original, if I remember correctly. Yeah, exactly, and like I think, well, yeah, you are right, and it's um definitely one of those things that even that series is doing quite well. It's it's awesome to see that uh, I guess a lot of these bigger networks are taking the whole idea of anime a bit more seriously in comparison to, um. I guess some of the earlier parfaits for anime, like especially for Western audiences, was things like Toonami on like um, Cartoon Network or Adult Swim on Cartoon Network. Those guys were really, I guess, the true uh, people to have the forethought to really start chucking these series on TV, and it was a smart move because now I it's becoming it, bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah, I guess it's gen- it, it has been generally accepted that it is a legitimate art form. It's not just kind of dirty hentai that was released on video. <laughs> Or you know, and mm. the uh, and the hidden annals of four channels stuff like that. That there are legitimately some incredible anime series that are out there um, that are, are well worth everybody's attention. And it's not just the anime movies. Um, perhaps it's a little bit of uh, Studio Ghibli, Hayao Miyazaki, that's made kind of anime a lot more accessible and people realizing it's great. But I also oh, think I also do. Uh, tend to believe that um people are so interested and intrigued by japanese culture including the idea that well you know grown men still watch cartoons what's that all about (laughs) clearly forgetting that grown men and women still watch family guy simpsons (laughs) and south park you know yeah fully just uh, it's a little bit instead of like being adult entertainment it's more of a case of uh talking about heroes and villains but the beauty of it like we've mentioned before we will continue mentioning until you know the sun burns out is how um japanese anime for the most part has so many levels and so much subtext about philosophy uh theology you know all of these kind of elements that it's an incredibly deep platform and i think it's one of the greatest kind of artistic pursuits that japan have given the rest of the world yeah i completely agree and i think one of the things i really like about anime in general is the fact that they can tell these extravagant stories but still with such heart like obviously i know a lot of people when they first think of anime and japanese cartoons the first thing is always the classics uh from back in the day you know like pokemon Yu-Gi-Oh, and all that sort of stuff uh, but that was always to sell a product. That was, and ultimately, I still love those shows. I'm st- they're yeah. always still going to have a place in my heart. But all they were was a a vehicle for selling games and toys and things like that. Where some of these other series now that we're seeing crop up are purely just really good stories with really good character building and really good, I guess, like world building as well. Like we don't just have the really average shite like. 
I'm not going to say because I do enjoy Shonen Jump. I do really enjoy Shonen Jump animes, okay. but I feel the problem with a lot of them is they're all so similar. They're all so insanely similar. They always have the unexpected hero who is always the main character who always seems like he's never quite getting there but somehow manages to beat impossible odds and it does get kind of frustrating watching those series after so many years. Uh, but we're seeing so many of these more, I guess, alternative uh, anime shows which aren't afraid to kind of not have this main character who's ridiculously invincible or, in some cases, having a character who is ridiculously invincible and that's half the appeal for it, like One Punch Man. I still think that is probably one of the best and funniest animes I've watched in a while. It's really great. It really tips the, like, I guess, genre on its head and it just offers something new, which I feel is, like, what is going to make it a hell of a lot more interesting for people in the future to watch yeah, the the general, I don't want to call it a genre because anime is not a genre, it's a type of animation. Uh, but yeah, it's just so good to see. Like, what Have you been watching any series lately yourself? Like, Is there any that have caught your eye? Well, I mean, funnily enough, I just, uh, I mean, apart from re-watching Attack on Titan, uh, I am waiting anxiously because it, it, I mean, like, we don't get paid any money for running Ikigai Pro. I think we've made that abundantly clear. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it's pretty costly these days to pick up Neon Genesis on Blu-ray, and then they've carved it all up into different volumes. So it's like some of them will include the movie cut up into you know actual series segments and and, and all of that. So I'm I'm just waiting until Netflix brings out Neon Genesis so I can fully immerse myself into that. Um, funnily enough, I I I have been digging digging into not enjoying but like just basically as a form of um eye candy you know just basically like junk food you know there's there's nothing too nourishing about it and fans of shonen jump series are probably not going to be happy about that but you are right i mean because i've been watching um hajime no ippo and i've also been uh digging on uh Captain Subasa again. Basically, Hajime no Ippo is about a young boxer, Captain Subasa, a young football player. Nice. But fucking hell, you are absolutely right. It is just basically what am I gonna do? How you know it's like Tiger Mask. Yeah. Which is which is like I'm a I'm a young protagonist and I need to earn my crush, learn my way, and I'm gonna have challenges in the way, but ultimately you know that I'm gonna get to where I need to be and learn a valuable lesson. And in terms of when they were included in like weekly shonen magazine, I get it because it was kind of aspirational for younger Japanese uh, audiences to realize, well, if I work really hard, the meritocracy. Uh, you know, in in one in some way, shape, or form, it's true. Because if I work really hard, if it worked for them, it'll work for me. But I I don't know, man. I just don't find there's any substance. That's why it almost feels kind of like candy. You know, it's 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 just rots your brain, rots your teeth, and it, it's bloody nice to look at. But I don't know. Maybe I'm really pretentious, and I really need that substance. But how do you make no Epo? I, I like it because it's an interesting watching the sports mangas get adapted into anime you know and again it's that curiosity you have with japanese culture of well they've made a cartoon series about an aspiring football player yeah completely that's pretty it's it's it's, it's, it's weird that they can find something that seems so mundane and make it so interesting 
No, ab- absolutely, absolutely. Like, I'm, I'm not many. Obviously, I I do realize. Obviously, there's a lot of people who love football, but like in terms of like that as a subject matter for a cartoon series, it's just outright bizarre. There was one uh, I watched a wee while ago. I'm struggling to remember the name of it, but a friend recommended it to me, and I watched a couple of episodes. It was about a professional swimmer. And I was like, this is going to be utterly boring. And it was great. I'm actually finding myself um, going back to watch a lot of old series. One of the ones I've really enjoyed was Lupin the Third. I've absolutely loved that. Oh, Lupin is is part of that classic era of uh, anime that was coming out, though. Mostly Um, because I should should, uh, do as an aside. uh, One of the guys who was one of the original voice actors, uh, English voice actors on the series, came and actually recorded my work, which was absolutely amazing. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, God, I'm trying to remember which character he played. But I'm sure I'll come back to it. I'm sure I'll remember it. But, yeah, it's like those sorts of things, like, in terms of being able to go back to these series, it's it's just so nice to, like, see even these sorts of really just well-driven story-based anime were still existing back in, like, yeah, what would that would have been, like, late 80s that Lupin was around, early 90s. It would have been, it would have been, because I know that that was around the time when they brought out the movie that manga, uh, the publishing company over here in the UK uh, were just pumping out those videos. So you'd have um, Golgo 13, the professional, you would have uh, Project Aiko, you would have Street Fighter 2, the animated movie, which is still an absolute classic to watch. Um, you would have, uh, of course, Akira, which began that first boom of western interest in japanese cinema and and anime you had ninja scroll uh you had so many other you had gyver which was an incredible ova which was one which is still one of my favorites of all time jesus i haven't heard of that in years yeah well it was it's still to this day one of my favorite original ovas and then you have yurotsuki doji which then made everyone just seem like a, a creep yeah (laughs) <laughs> yeah totally uh, completely uh, mate just just before we go into the main topic um if anyone was interested in that anime series based on swimming it's not free by chance is it i don't think it is give me a second i'll i'll give it a give it a look i'm I'm sure it probably is it's, it's it was a wee while that i watched it no it wasn't free it was not free at all I, i'm i'm guarantee you i'll find it it was a comedy it was definitely a comedy and i'm sure because... i'll be able to well, so, okay, so what astounds me even more is that there are two series that are based on swimming. Seriously? Yeah, because there was a, just reading up the Wikipedia Golden Boy. article. Golden Boy. Golden Boy. All right, so there was um, Free as, in, uh, as the sequel, apparently, to the light novel High Speed. Um, wow. There is a lot of things that anime covers sometimes that just seems pointless. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe not, well, well, again, probably not the best word, but I don't know. You know, it, it just feels that in Japan there is something for everybody, isn't there? And if you want something deep that involves huge, ginormous monsters, then you've got Attack on Titan. Um, if you want to look at how adults mistreat children and therefore as, uh, to absolve themselves from responsibility and at the same time try and stop children from being the juvenile delinquents that they are you have battle royale and then if you like swimming then you've got fucking free or what was it what was it called again the one that you caught admittedly 
I, I should I should note this is going back to the starting point that Jamie is potentially a drunk. Um, Golden Boy, maybe not watch it, depending. Um, if you have a significant other, maybe not, because they might think you're watching something else. But I definitely do remember quite a few scenes of it. It's basically about the stereotypical, and I don't know why this is also a trope in Japanese anime as well. When especially when they're comedies, uh, it's about a guy who's a bit of a pervert, basically. And I do remember quite a few scenes where he's basically just this utterly useless. <laughs> useless individual who's just constantly trying to woo girls and fails miserably and it's it, he, it is does, quite funny does he have the nosebleed oh yeah he definitely has yeah, the nosebleed mate yeah, that yeah, is a classic go-to mate that is a classic trope in 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 anime uh which is if, if people are curious oh what, what's so classic about a nosebleed uh effectively a nosebleed is meant to be an allegory to uh premature ejaculation i I didn't even think of that. I don't know why. I thought it was just someone getting extremely hot and flustered and getting to the point where they had a nosebleed. But now that explains a hell of a lot more. Uh, for the record as well, if you want to uh, leave any messages for us, don't forget, hello at Ikigai. Um, and also, uh, Penji and I are potentially perverts. I don't know. Are we? Maybe we are. No, we're no, not. no, we're not. We're not. We're just... <laughs> we're not weeaboos, that's for sure. We're we, not... We've... We're just very attuned into Japanese culture. We're not um, hentai fans. With, Maybe we without, are. Without appropriating that culture completely. <laughs> uh, I could talk about anime for ages, but I know we, you should, could. we should really, really go into today's main topic. It's, uh, I'd say it's not a nice one, but given the fact that we have covered Leaving Neverland uh, and a plethora of other topics that left me... Uh, a, a husk of a happy human being um it's not quite that bad there's no trigger warnings involved um but it is the situation where we are finding ourselves now in a disingenuous world of uh aspirational social influence now what the hell does that mean you might ask well it's this situation where I mean, it, it, this for me, the rant all <laughs> starts, Jamie, oh, no. when there was a, a BBC News article that just mentioned uh, advertisers, hooray for advertisers, um, they're tapping into ASMR, autosensory meridian response for the initiated, um, as a means of generating interest into products. Now, uh, Billy Ellis, she's already used elements of ASMR for her video, Bad Guy, and it comes as no surprise that advertisers have already always used trends to sell products, grunge, new metal, dead celebrities. Uh, the problem, though, uh, taking a complete detour from the matter, is that um, there are so many platforms available now that Anybody in their right mind can claim to be a celebrity to endorse a product. They're called influencers these days. But in all honesty, is it not all just disingenuous? I mean, Andy Warhol said that everyone would have 15 minutes of fame. I don't think he meant that everyone would have it at the same time and expect to get free stuff. Now, again, you might be wondering, it seems like two different kind of themes that you're going for here. On the one thing, you're blaming advertisers. And then on the other hand, though, you're blaming, you know, influencers. But they go hand in hand now where it used to be like, you know, a Courtney Cox or it used to be Al McPherson or it used to be Rutger Hauer or it used to be a, a, so many other celebrities 
would be targeted in order to push certain products, Rodger Hauer with Guinness, you know, Al McPherson with like makeup and stuff like that. Um, those days are gone now. And instead you've got average people, average Joes giving off this idea that they are above average uh, and therefore, you know, trying to hawk fucking things that we don't need. And the, the knock-on effect of that is, as far as as far as, far as I'm aware, of course, and I, I could be very wrong, by all means, I'm hoping for a counterpoint here, Jamie, is that um, that uh, these people now, it's almost kind of like an, an expectation of, I've got 64,000 followers, therefore I should be entitled to sell or I should be entitled to push things onto the general public. I mean, it's there was a story last year about a hotel refusing an influencer wanting to have during their busiest season uh, a couple of nights for free. And what they do is they put it on their Instagram and stuff like that. It's the absolute disingenuous element, though, Jamie, where people give off the impression that, well, if I can do it, everyone else can do it. And it's just fucking bullshit, man. It's just we are we are teaching people an unrealistic expectation that hard work sometimes doesn't pay off, man. And I know that's not the nicest thing you want to hear, but I could, I could really go into how some people manage to cultivate this idea of success. It's not a new concept. It's been there since the dawn of time. It's just now it's fucking everywhere, man. But your thoughts on influencers, man. Actually, yeah, it's funny you bring this up because uh, I actually know quite a few people who are social media influencers. And, wow. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure you're probably actually quite surprised about this. The thing is, uh, Benji and I didn't actually discuss this topic, and I kind of wanted to do this in this way because I thought it'd be more interesting, um, outing it all, outing it all to the public uh, in this forum. Uh, yeah, we didn't discuss uh, the topic too much, so it's kind of nice being able to do this. But yeah, I have quite a few friends who are social media influencers. I can name four or five off the off the top of my head, but I'm not going to name them because I don't no, know no, people no. going to harass them possibly. I doubt they would. I'd hope people wouldn't be that um, pathetic, hopefully. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing because even – oh, man, you're going to shoot me for this. Even I considered doing it at one point because, like, not obviously – pretending like I was going to flog off products, but I did try to consider the options of being like, okay, if I was to become, uh, well, if I was to start some sort of like social media channel where I could uh, potentially talk about certain topics and allow that to be a way of potentially making an income, that would actually be quite nice. Um, But obviously, yeah, like you said, it's not a realistic thing. So my general opinion on it just off the bat is really, you're right, it, it is a totally not achievable goal, but in the same respect, I've definitely seen people, particularly my friends, who, without sounding terrible, they're not anyone that is like of notable personality. They're just basically people um, who are really good looking or, for the other part, maybe um, work in some sort of content department, already have a following based off that, and then have managed to change that into something where they can be an influencer in a sense. Um 
But yeah, it's 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 possible, but I don't. Yeah, I completely agree with you. It's not something people should aspire to. And yeah, it is hilarious because I know just as many people who are failed influencers uh, who are trying to tag uh, like makeup products in their Instagram uh, stories or in their posts and things like that, hashtagging them blatantly. Obviously, trying to garner some sort of attention from these brands. Where I'm just like. No one's going to pay fucking attention to you. You have, like, not trying to be a dick. You've got 10 followers. Uh, most of them are your family members. And then apart from that, you post quite shitey photos of your food. So I don't really think um, those brands are going to be paying attention to you. But, yeah, I do agree with you. It can come across as quite disingenuous. But what would be um, an honest influencer? Is there such a thing but as I an mean, honest influencer? But, I mean, what what we're looking at here, though, Jamie, is it's... It- I mean, it's. I re. I don't want it to come across as a broad generalization because. Oh no! Totally. There are people out there. I mean, what you've mentioned, I completely understand. You know, you want to monetize something that you're passionate about, and and I get that because you you're very passionate about it. You know, and I think that if people want to monetize something uh, that they have an interest in i mean for fuck's sake we run a pop culture website you know uh, of course we'd want to monetize this in some way shape or form you know and there's people out there that have youtube channels like metal jesus rocks you know i, I like them all over and pewdiepie you know there are really good content is not the issue that I've got here by all means, Jamie. You know, yeah, I even completely. think I even think that uh, was it Kendall Jenner. Uh, who am I to begrudge the fact that she ultimately knows a lot more about something I don't really have an interest in, which is a really blase uh, comment, but it's a fucking blase comment. So <laughs> deal with it. Uh, so if if it is specifically content driven and interesting then I I have no problem with that whatsoever. What I do have a problem with is that there are now a sect of, of people that pour money into sponsored posts on Instagram, on Facebook and stuff like that. And you must have seen it, Jamie. In fact, I'm sure all of our listeners at one point have seen it. It's this idea of kind of, look, I've just spent five minutes making this video and they've got a whiteboard putting up all of these things and saying, you know, if you just send me an email address, then what we'll do is that we'll get you into one of our live webinars and teach you four different ways that you can attract traffic to your website. And a secret fifth one that not many people will tell you about, which 90% of the time I can guarantee you'll get people in there. This is pretty much copying everything that Gary V, if you're familiar with him, (laughs) made his whole career over because the webinars are not live. The webinars are there on a continual loop through different platforms. Your email address will then be used to sell onto affiliates in order for them to create emailing lists themselves to create a customer funnel in order to then target you and maybe sell you things or offer you things that you don't really fucking need, but you've got a passing interest in. These are how these people have made their money. Yeah, it's like okay. a Tony Robbins sort of bollocks sort of situation that's going on. Yeah, I completely agree, it's, man. It's it's like a fucking pyramid scheme. No, I, I take that back. It's like a fucking Tupperware party where 
the currency that is being generated is is email lists and we read all the time now on white hat and black hat seo websites that um email lists are basically one of the future aspects of monetization it, it's a currency in itself you know oh completely so, so you got all of these people now that go out there and you know uh, create PDF handbooks and stuff like that, and I don't think it's very fair because then you have people on Instagram who, I mean, I, I've been talking to um, Adam Jones who runs uh, Northern Blues. We've been having countless topics because he definitely knows his shit when it comes to social media marketing, and it's incredible talking to that guy. And I, I'm learning a lot what to do and what not to do with the record label. But, you know, in terms of kind of like startup fashion labels, for example, just using that, um, you could set up an Instagram in a matter of like minutes and then you can go and then suddenly a week later, you've got like 3000 followers and you've got like the dopest pictures of kind of like here I am in a penthouse with my Yeezys and all of these dope ass <laughs> clothes, you know. And outside I've got a Lamborghini. I am the epitome of success. And people gravitate towards that because we fucking love success. We are voyeurs. We are gluttons when it comes to looking at aspirational moments. Like, and I did all of this. Just send me your email address and I'll teach you how to do that. Well, it's like that guy, that classic guy who became a meme because of how ridiculous he was, Ty Lopez. Yeah. Yeah, and it's exactly that. I th- I'd, Actually, to be honest here, you're sl- starting to slightly, yeah, I'm starting to get get where you're coming from now because, yeah, these sort of guys are the dangerous individuals of this. I feel like there are genuinely people who obviously um, do have an interest in giving their audience possibly products that do match what they're looking for. They're not yeah. necessarily looking to rip people off, but there's definitely no. a sect of them who don't give a crap about their audience, don't necessarily care about what they're slogging as long as they're making the money. That's the main thing. I think one of the finest ones I've seen recently as well, um, just to bring in a female influencer, because I feel like uh, female influencers, I feel, are becoming the the main cream of the crop in terms of uh, dominating that sector. I feel like they've done, like, female influencers are insanely successful. Uh, just looking at makeup influencers, that's one of the biggest industries online now, which is oh, quite yeah, weird definitely. when you think about it. Like, you'd think something that's so niche wouldn't make that much or generate that much income, but it is massive at the moment, and so many companies are trying to jump on the back of it. Uh, but one of the people that I think she started as a makeup influencer, you probably like know her name, uh, Zoella. Okay. Uh, so Zoella, she's a UK YouTuber. She started as, uh, I believe she started doing makeup tutorials and things like that. Uh, and she uh, she had a recent uh, scandal, I think it was only a couple of uh, couple of months ago, where basically she flogged off an advent calendar, a Zoella-themed advent calendar. And basically all it was was uh, products that she had basically purchased from a dollar store but charged an exorbitant fee for people to buy this advent calendar. It was something ridiculous, like £50 or something like that. And her audience ate it up. It's dangerous when you have that much power as an influencer, especially if your audience is a hell of a lot younger uh, than the general public. That's and what scares me the most. Yeah, impressionable, yeah. And, yeah. and, and I feel for people because, you know... Uh, it's so easy to cultivate this idea, uh, cultivate this image of success because you can 
go and hire an Airbnb for a night, like a ding-dong Airbnb, and give off the impression that it's your pad. You can hire a Lamborghini. Logan Paul demonstrated that when he took Jake Paul to fucking task in that diss track, you know? And one of the greatest... I, I mean, I got a begrudging respect for Logan Paul when he did that because he just basically pointed out, I can do all of this too. All it takes is money, you know? Mm. Um the the amazing clothes jamie well asos and all these other high-end uh high street kind of brands they got a return policy yeah so exactly. people can just so it's effectively hiring fucking clothes man actually so, correction on that yeah zoella is exactly that she was a fashion blogger and i'm sure that's probably how she started was exactly doing that and i think yeah it's like going back to what you said it's this expectation that you can have this success and it's just really dangerous it's it's the equivalent, Jamie, of going to Food Town or, or going going to somewhere in New Zealand, you know, where there's a community notice board. And then you suddenly see something like wanna earn money from home or you know, or or effectively kind of these you go to a travel lodge or a premier in one of these places that have got a conference room that anyone can hire. And it's like a day seminar, which demonstrates how you can get rich real quick, get rich, quick schemes. That's, that's all this has become. But instead of money that's being exchanged in order to gain these incredible secrets, you know, I think it's worse because you're handing over your email address, which in effect is you're handing over your personal information, and then you're just going to end up on one of a plethora of emailing lists, constantly harassed and targeted. It just seems scummy, you know, and and yet, you know, because someone has fashioned this idea of success by virtue of something that everybody can do, but no one's going to have the nounce to do it, it becomes this aspirational piece. It's it's interesting because Charlie Brooker a number of years ago, like I mentioned off air when we were doing a bit of a production run, um, did a piece on Screenwipe where he absolutely loathed reality television shows like The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills or The, the Real Housewives of New Jersey or The Only Way is Essex, where it just gives off this aspirational television, this whole well, if these people are doing it, you can do it as well. And I'm not saying give up on your dreams, but realistically, these people have a stupid amount of money that have managed to cultivate this. And I just... Shit gets tight, man. I just don't want to see a whole bunch of people end up emptying their credit cards on a women a prayer because they saw someone on Facebook that, that said, oh, I've got like... A, a handbook here as a PDF, just sign up and I can send it to you. Yeah. It's just, it's depressing. And it, it used to be, I think why it irks me so much is it used to be few and far between dude, you know, like I mentioned, it used to be, you just see adverts here and there, but the fact that now you can have sponsored posts and Facebook's bright idea with their algorithm is that they want to push things that they think are going to be of interest to me and the thing that they're pushing the most are all of these kind of exercises in terms of branding in terms of you know webinars in terms of you know top tips for seo seo is bullshit man i could give you a crash course in seo now you've got a website about a pub pub bar alcohol drinks 
beer and then you just go through the gamut of search terms that you want to drive people to your website there it's not cost anyone a fucking email exactly. address or anything like that yes you know? thank you man thank and, you and so where where you know there was a bit of a because i i, I want to end this topic on a on a nice note between you. <laughs> i get where you're coming from i get where you probably you know i get where there was a hesitation to to be like i i agree because i i am all for people that have really good great content uh, fantastic i mean i run a record label of course i want to drive people to come and Fully. check out the music we put out but that is legitimate content um you know Kendall Jenner, yeah, you know, people like her or not, but that is legitimate content. You know, I'm sure that there are a whole bunch of people out there that uh, are probably thinking, oh, well, I hope they're not, he's not attacking me if they care that much. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. No, I mate, they're too busy uh, yeah. checking their feet. Let's yeah, I have, so I have no problem with legitimate content being monetized. Okay. My problem is that I just have, a real disdain towards these influencers that give off a visage of something that they're not, because I guarantee that this time next month, you'll see me with an Instagram <laughs> account that will have, I, I'm going to make an easy estimate. I'll have an Instagram account of 10,000 people. You'll see me in a penthouse apartment with a pair of Yeezys and uh, stood next to a Lamborghini and uh, I bet you £10, Jamie, by uh, this time next month, if that's not happened, I'll give you £10. But I, that's I'm that's really much... hoping you go through with this. I really am. Oh, no, I am, because that's how ridiculous. I, I, I just want people to realise that it, it, is, it is as easy as that, which means it is as absolutely hollow and empty as that. So if it seems too good to be true, nine times out of ten, it probably is. And, and uh, don't well, forget, um, sell to kids. They're the yeah. best bet. Just sell to kids. Shell all your shit to kids because they're stupid and they'll buy it and they'll pester their parents to the point that they'll throw a tantrum and make their parents go mentally insane and then they'll buy all your crap merch. Hell yeah. That's why I love Logan Paul and Jake Paul. Good on them, you know. Sell to those stupid kids. Fucking idiots are buying their shitey hoodies that use word art and clip art images. Fuck yeah, man. Hell yeah. But they've done it. That's the fucking sad thing. And and it, you've nailed the, the, you know, you've absolutely nailed it. Nailed the hammer on the head. Nailed the the energy drinks slowly seeping out of my system. But, well, don't worry, you know, mate. The energy drinks are flogging as well. You could possibly <laughs> buy some of them, man. Guaranteed they'll give you the energy to get up and go, man. Hell yeah. So, in summary, great content, fantastic, monetize. Hats off to you. Me and Jamie, we salute you for doing everything and you deserve doing all the, Lord's the money. Work. Yeah, yep. you know. But uh, if your idea of getting rich is quickly just grabbing email addresses and palming them off, for shame. Yes. Okay. For shame. And hey, congratulations, advertisers, because you've made everyone suddenly think that they can do all of this and you've just cheapened the whole fucking idea of decent advertising. 
Oh, yeah. Do you know, I think that's one of the funniest things. I actually now have a higher appreciation when I see an advert that is actually of artistic merit. I like, missed them. I, I missed them. Mate, mate, honestly, I, this is obviously completely off topic and I shouldn't even be um, advertising ad- adverts, but why not? May as well. But honestly, the UK, around Christmas time, you guys nail that shit. Oh, like, man. John Oh, not this year. This, uh, lo- sorry, last year's one. What was that? The Elton John one? Not so keen on that one. But Iceland's orangutan animated uh, wee short. Fuck me, I had a tear in my eye, mate. Honestly, I've never been so close to having a genuine tear in my eye watching an advert, and that definitely did it to me. What happened to the good adverts? I know, exactly, man. Maybe we should write up an article in in May when we do our big kind of um, uh, literary drop about... What happened at adverts? I remember when um, Fair Go in New Zealand used to have advertising awards. It might have been before your time, mate. No, mate. No, they're still going, and they are fantastic, honestly. It it became a family affair for us, for the whole family. The Larson family would sit down and watch the advertising awards. How weird is that? Brilliant. Okay, so look, we are running out of time. Me and Jamie are very conscious that you don't want to be sat here for an hour and a half. We all have family and friends and loved ones to go to. Um, Let's just quickly go with Watch the Thrones. Spoiler alert, if you've not watched Game of Thrones, hurry the hell up and do so. Yes. Um, That White Walker battle was absolutely a thing of beauty. We lost some good people. We lost Jorah Mormont. Thank you so much. You know, we lost, uh, we lost, uh, what's his name? Theon. Yes. He's gone now. Exactly, mate. We, we lost a ton of people. Okay. But what we learned is that fucking Arya Stark is an absolute badass. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. Hell yeah, like honestly, that was probably one of the finest things um, that I've seen. Admittedly, and I said this to you off here, I thought, I, I th- did I mention this to you? Maybe I was talking to someone else about this because like, I felt like it was the most disappointing thing about the episode. And I know that sounds bad because I still thought it was amazing to see Arya kick some ass. Um, but why her? Why was she the one who ended up killing the Night King? I feel like that was the most disappointing part of that whole story arc ending because I feel like she had no real connection to the Night King in comparison no, no, to some no, of the no. other characters. But it's the prophecy. It's the it's the prophecy. It's setting things up. So this takes us into our fan theory. Fan theory? Yeah, theory spelled with an F. Fan theory. Uh, for this week, which is the theory that Arya will ultimately be the person to kill Cersei Lannister, given Melisandre's quote, uh, which was used in the actual episode itself, that she can kill someone with brown eyes, she can kill someone with green eyes, and she can kill someone with blue eyes. And the whole blue eyes moment, then you suddenly realize, holy shit. So it's a White Walker. Yeah, true. It's a White Walker. Actually, going but, back as well, because I feel like yeah. it'd be rude of us not to bring up the rest of the Daily Departed. We had Ed. Obviously, a great friend of uh, Mr. Jon Snow and also Samwell, who I personally felt was someone who should have just died. I'm, I'm sorry. He was just being a total prick that whole well, episode. Samwell, he should have just gone into the bloody... Crypt, um, mate. Yeah, but then he'd be fucked then because the dead came back to life in the crypt, didn't uh, they? Oh, true, good point. Uh, we had Beric Dondarrion. Great that character, hurt. flaming sword. That hurt for me, man. And that, that Jesus, hurt, that Jesus pose, like just towards his final death. Oh, that was fantastic. We also had, um, of course, um, oh, what's her name? 
Lady Mormont. That was the most badass thing. I thought that was more badass than Arya's death. Uh, Arya's death. Arya's, um, <laughs> Arya's kill. Like, her taking on that giant. Like, what the hell? She is, like, two foot nothing, and she decides, yeah, I'm going to take on this fucking giant. Yeah, yeah no I mean, fucking like, worries. I, I can I can get your... I can understand why you'd be disappointed about how the, the Night King died, because, uh, you know... I, in the lead up to that, it was just absolute so onslaught, just an, an utter, utter onslaught. Um, but it was part of the prophecy, uh, which uh, Melisandre had told uh, Arya about. And so now there's a theory that we've the the brown eyes was was Frey, the yeah, blue true. eyes the blue eyes is the the king, green eyes well. Cersei Lannister has green eyes, you know, and then given that uh, Arya and uh, Gendry uh, had a, a dalliance, and Gendry is a bastard son of uh, of a Robert Berenthian or one of the Berenthians, you know, now it leads into the fact that perhaps Arya and Gendry have a legitimate claim to the Iron Throne, along with uh, Jon Snow, who we realize is a Targaryen. Uh, and Daenerys, who believed that she was the rightful heir to the throne. So, and then you've got Cersei, who will just um, uh, just not want to give up the throne whatsoever. It, like, I was wondering why they chose the White Walker episode so soon to yeah. to be finished. But, but now, the other yeah. thing I will say: what color is the Hound's eyes? Jeez, why are we talking about people's eyes? It makes me seem like um, I'm talking about my significant other. Oh, my God, their eyes. But, beautiful. But oh, beautiful, think about this. There was that scene where I could have easily taken a shot at the hound but decided not to only because she had other things to worry about. Are you sure it's not going to be the hound that she ends up taking out? No, because I think that with with the hound, the hound demonstrated that through all of his stoicness, ultimately peace scared of death and we saw that because he thought it was just a, an absolute futile attempt and then when uh beric showed well she doesn't and aria came down and, and and did her bits and pieces in the episode um yeah i guess maybe that i would hope there would be that kind of begrudging respect that the hound has now because the roles have reversed it was the hound that came across as this is futile, I feel helpless, you know, and it was Arya that kind of emboldened them to, to do what they had to do. And you don't um, and you don't think it's going to be someone like Jamie who kills Cersei? Because I feel like that would have a greater impact in terms of the story and ending that uh, arc quite well. Or do you I feel reckon, like he's going to get killed by Cersei? No, I reckon that Jamie Lannister's is going to probably kill uh, Euron. Not a bad shot, actually a very good shot. Yeah, because because we don't know if the child. Well, we believe that the child that Cersei Lannister has is another one of Jaime's, you know, children. Um, but she could easily just turn around and pass it off as Euron because of well, Jaime just walked out on Cersei, didn't he? And she's already done that before, so why wouldn't she do it again? No, no, exactly. So, um, okay, predictions for deaths next week. I'm assuming because I've been avoiding trailers for the next episode. Have you been doing the same, or are you a big uh, trailer I'm, watcher? I'm, I'm, I'm a big trailer watcher. Oh no! Um, oh shit! Okay. Oh, uh, this is gonna I, be bad. Okay. 
each to their own. No, I think next week is going to be a lot more kind of narrative where the, you know, with the trailer itself, again, spoiler, um, dictated that they've won the Great War, which was against the White Walkers. Now it's time for them to win the final war, which is to take back King's Landing. But then Cersei at the end of the trailer mentioned, um, let's let's tear away the root, um, to paraphrase. So, Evidently, she's going to be doing a little bit of stirring up uh, how much information that she's got regarding Jon Snow's uh, real lineage or how much information she's she's got about uh, Gendry and Arya. Uh, I'm not too sure about. I'm guessing in the next episode she finds something out. But it's going to no, end Jamie. up as a civil war, isn't it? Well, think about Jamie. They still have no idea that Jamie. Do they know? They do know about Jamie. What am I talking about? Of course they know that Jamie pushed Brain out of the window. I'm fucking stupid if I thought otherwise. Um, yeah, why the hell did I even say that? No, yeah, well, I just, right. I'm just wondering what other political play points she could play in terms of the characters because I feel like she's at that point now where she doesn't have any more cards apart from having a big fucking army and that's it. Well, I mean, that's a hell of a card though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's true. She's got all of the um, armada from the uh, the Iron Islands. Yeah, that's true. Great. Still got, um, what's his name, Gregor, or the monster as he's called now. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, true. So she, I mean, when I was watching it with Maeve, all I was saying was Cersei played an absolute blinder, you know? She just waited out to see... All of um, all of the Winterfall, everyone who was defending it, just be absolutely depleted. And if she wanted to, she can either go and in- invade there, but I think she's just going to rest uh, in King's Landing from the looks of things. Um, the uh, the houses that have survived the Winterfall assault, or the Battle of Winterfall, I believe it's called now, uh, they all just seem all right. Well, let's just go uh, to King's Landing and take back what what is rightfully ours. But nothing is that easy in Game of Thrones, and I'm absolutely sure that I, I honestly think. I mean, the just quickly going back to the fan uh, the fan theory. It's a great theory. It's one I hope happens because I'm a big fan of uh, of Arya. I think she's a brilliant character. But I, I, I don't know how it's going to end. What I do feel is that everybody thinks Daenerys is going to have the same kind of traits as her father, who, of course, was like the Mad yep. King. I think that Jon Snow is actually going to end up being more of the Mad King. He was just so determined to kill um the Night King. Um that he was prepared for all of the Dothraki when they got wiped out. He was prepared for everyone else to get wiped out just for his shot at killing the Night King. Yeah, maybe that, maybe, I did think maybe, the same thing. Yeah, yeah definitely. Maybe that, maybe that was his hubris. Maybe he thought that if I do this, I can rightfully say that I'm the king. How is he going to react with Arya? Now, knowing that Arya is the person that did what he couldn't accomplish, which was to kill the Night King. So this... Yeah, I am looking forward to it. It's kind of like the last episode and um, uh, the episode before, episode two, um, and me and one of my work colleagues were talking about it, and I, I completely agree with it. One of the best things about episode two, as frustrating as it was, because I was like, come on, there's only six episodes. Why are we not cracking onto a few things? I'm looking forward to the dynamic in terms of um, 
what sort of like discussions are going to be had amongst the characters after this because it's such a significant event. I feel like if they were to jump into anything else after this, it would totally take away from the previous episode. So it is going to be interesting. I feel like the dynamics are going to change, like you say, and I feel like there is going to be new things that will come to light. I think you're totally right where Gendry is going to become a bigger character because he disappeared for so long throughout the series and then only came back. Um, only Wasn't it the season the season before that he basically came back and became a more, I guess, prominent character. Why have they brought him back? He has to be more important than what they're making him out to be. Um, are you familiar with the theory of Chekhov's gun? Yeah, exactly. It yeah, is exactly like Chekhov's gun. It is exactly. Blade, you know? Yeah, exactly, uh, man. I've been I've been trying to shout Maeve to come up because I got a message from her saying, Flames, it was the flames he was terrified of. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was the flames. Yeah, he's scared of fire. I should have corrected you on that. That was my bad. Uh, yeah, but at the same time, he he's still just meant to be this stoic dude, so... Yeah, he is, and it's um it's kind of like one of these things. I think one of the things I'm really looking forward to, and I think it is going to be in episode five, I don't feel like they're going to do it in episode four, is the mountain taking on, obviously, uh, the hound. It's, it has to happen. It was... Uh, the prophecy that Melisandre put across as well. It was going to be in the flames. I'm looking forward to seeing this, man. I think it's the one fight I am really, truly looking forward to, and I hope it happens next episode, but I feel like they're going to push it back to one of the final episodes. And, um, you know, on that note, we we left out one more death. Um, uh, Melisandre. She served yeah. her purpose, though, ultimately, didn't she? Yeah, exactly. Um, her basically committing suicide was quite bizarre, very unexpected. Um, I did think she was going to die near the start of the episode as well. I was kind of looking forward to the Onion Knight taking her out. I thought, I thought that would be quite a good, um, I guess, end to her story arc. But, yeah, quite a strange ending for her. Well, we've got uh, three more episodes left. Exactly, and I'm sure everyone's and just as amped as we are. That's it. Game of Thrones is over, what unless we... they do like a spin-off or something like that. They are talking I... about it. They are talking uh, about it. It is in discussion. I, they better. I, I hope. Well, I don't know. I I kind of hope they don't because ever since The Walking Dead were were gonna kill off Rick Grimes, and then it turned out that oh no, actually he he survived, and we're gonna do three standalone movies with that character. It's kind of wait what? Yeah, you're not familiar. I've, I that, literally stopped watching The Walking Dead two seasons ago because I thought it was just getting so ridiculous I got over it. And that's bad because I was a defender of The Walking Dead and saying, no, 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 it's really good. I just got completely over it. Well, that is something for next week. So, <laughs> <laughs> so look, uh, thank you again, everyone, for listening in. If you're a social influencer and you didn't like what I said, deal with it or do a sponsored post. I really just don't care at this point in time. Um, any fan mail, hello at ekagaipro.net. Please, please, please subscribe. We never ask people to subscribe, um, but we really should do. Um, me and uh, Jamie Taylor will be bringing you a wrestling podcast tomorrow. Uh, but until next week, Jamie Larson, it's a bloody pleasure as always. I'm off to watch some more swimming anime. What are you up to for the rest of the evening? Mate, I might just chuck on some hentai and just go full force. <laughs> into the the classic weeaboo style. Make sure you leave some room for a Jackie Chan movie and a Kaki Tayano. Bye-bye.